I ask some lar, Mustafa. Kalaglu must have gotten up to some mighty exploits this past week. Your son's most recent batch of mail is quite large. Some have a return address outside of Chandlebel, so he must be traveling a lot. Isn't your grandson due for a visit? It is always nice to see Hassan Bey here. Anyway, anyway, Miss Gaff is down in the Recherche Cafe whenever you'd like the letters read to you. Courage, Mukusare. To Mademoiselle Rouge, Viscountess and owner of Hotel Daydream and Reverie Estates. As you will recall, two weeks ago, I was contacted by a member of WORM, the Watchdog Oversight Recognizance Militia, a secret intelligence organization working to track down an illegal arms dealer. He's known for the sale and dispersal of chemical weapons the world over and beyond. He has been a person of interest for some time for WORM, and it was only after exhausting every other resource to identify his current whereabouts that they eventually came to us for aid. The target, known only as Red Cat, is here at the hotel. Worm was unable to crack our encrypted reservation list on their own and brought me into the fold to help. Over the last two weeks, Fiona the Fly, Worm's resident agent stationed at the hotel, and I have scoured the entire list of current guests, all super tet of them. Yes, that few, I know. But we have to remember we are in the early autumn off-season. That number will get back up to normal size come November, but that is neither here nor there. Fiona and I, after many hours of coming through names and an unseemly amount of coffee, eventually found the target under the alias Jasper Kotov. Jasper, of course, is Latin for red, and Kotov is the Russian surname of, well, you can guess. Red Cat is staying in room 1956F on floor 103,132, but we cannot capture him, not yet. Late last night, a caterpillar delivered Fiona a confidential message. Worm suspects Red Cat is here to meet not one, but two mystery buyers here at the hotel this afternoon. The exact identities of these buyers is unknown. We cannot seize Red Cat until we can ascertain their identities and their motivations. We may be able to find some clues, however. Surveillance on Red Cat shows that he is not a little vain. He obsesses over going to the gym and takes a very precise jogging route every morning, four kilometers round the hotel grounds. The whole circuit takes him roughly 25 minutes, which gives Fiona plenty of time to search his rooms, which she is doing right now. Updates to follow with anything she's found. Guest Complaints The white stags of the Golden Glades have brought forward a number of littering complaints. While the hotel's presence in the Golden Glades comes with several stipulations, none of them prohibit guests from exploring those flaxen pastures. A number of fey folk staying with us have taken the opportunity to go celebrate moon-gazing festivals and star-studded feasts outdoors. These are fine. The fairies, for the most part, know not to try to trick the white stags and have procured the appropriate permits for these events. That said, while the music, food, and general revelry are harmless, they leave behind a great deal of fairy circles. It can't be helped from all the dancing, but others have begun 
abusing these incidental magical structures. The latest offender is one troublesome Puck. Though his reputation stems more from midsummer fame, his antics have persisted even as we step further into fall. For instance, his latest batch of trickery is in stealing various guests' bonnets, caps, helmets, headdresses, and the like, and hiding them in fairy circles. When the owners eventually find their stolen attire in those circles, they become subject to the litany of fairy laws, not the least of which includes having the poor person trapped there dance unceasingly for hours at a time. At the end, the victim of the prank is so exhausted they simply collapse and sleep on the spot. On top of this is the unusual littering issue, namely the grand accumulation of hats out in the glades. Puck has made off with a staggering number of them, and the white stags are starting to get upset by the growing mounds of headgear. Im Cheong and I are working on a solution, though how to stop Puck from throwing someone's hat in the ring is proving challenging. I will keep you posted. I have received an open letter from the various Haitian zombies, Scandinavian Drograi, Irish Dolahans, Slavic Drakovac, and countless vampires, liches, and mummies the hotel over, all of whom have taken issue with our recent Halloween statement from the other day. The statement was a reaffirmation of our stance on ghosts, something many of the undead take issue with. They were very critical of some of the phrases used in that letter and made no bones Nope, no, can't, can't use that one. The skeletons also signed the letter. Um, they made a... No, no small show of protest. Yes, no small show of protest about the way what they described as vitalist practices, catering to the needs of the living over those of the dead, undead, haunting, and or general post-life community. After reviewing their letter, they had us dead to rights about... No, no, can't, can't use that one either. They had us, um, caught out with some of our policies. I am meeting with several of the letter's authors to discuss what changes would be helpful. Countess Milarka Karnstein is coming along as a liaison on behalf of the hotel. That is, if she wakes up in time. I went to knock on her door this morning and found her still asleep at 11.36 p.m. I walked in and found her still asleep in her casket, looking as dead as a door. No, no, can't, can't use that one either. Note, need to ask the post-life community how they feel about colloquial expressions about the deceased. The members of the band Bark, but Bark spelled with a Q. I don't, I don't understand it either. But the band members of Bark checked out early today, or at least their instruments did. You see, what happened was Ethan, the bass player, started dating the code lead singer, Joe. Now, Joe, she, and the drummer, Sean, had apparently dated when Bark first formed three years ago. Well, they're not together now, I, I think. Ethan thought he saw them together one night grabbing drinks in the Neon Hour Club, but Joe swears she and Sean were just hanging out. Ethan wants to believe Joe, but JJ, the keyboard player, keeps telling him they see Joe and Sean together. This has made Tim, the second guitar player, angry because he and Sean go way back, and it seems like JJ is just stirring up trouble for its own sake, and you get the picture. Bark was supposed to be on tour this month in Dizzying Fair, but the band has been so mired in drama that their manager has had to postpone three of their shows. 
one of their gigs was at the Misconstrued Tavern, and after the most recent cancellation, Davies, the owner, said this was their last shot. I am honestly surprised he gave them this much leeway. But at any rate, with their spot at the tavern tenuous at best, Bark's manager did her best to rally the band and put their personal issues aside. They, to the surprise of none, didn't listen to her. All this time, the band's instruments were growing impatient. They had joined to make music and were starting to wonder why they even needed the players in the first place. Ethan's guitar, a Ventura 60s Sunburst Stratocaster, was especially fed up with the melodrama. They gathered together the other instruments along with the manager to discuss the state of the tour. They then decided unanimously that if the band wanted to stew in their insecurities, fine. But they had music to play. The only reason I'm filing this under guest complaints is because the band will not stop pestering Ferdinanda at the front desk about their missing instruments. She has shown them the checkout form, but they don't seem to understand. Tim, Ethan, JJ, Sean, and Joe will presumably be staying here for the duration of Bark's tour. Whatever happens after that is anyone's guess. Creature Resources Report Moving on, the Nick of Time has retired. His long years of service have been of value to us all here at the hotel. The number of times he has helped us out of a tough scrape cannot be counted. He is moving back home to spend more time with Bob, his uncle, and Fanny, his aunt. Jif will be stepping up to take his place henceforth. We will miss Nick, of course, but Jif has put a lot of practice and study into her 11th hour efforts, and I say it's high time her diligence is rewarded. I have been in discussions with Latrice about other topiary positions. I had a meeting with her today about it. I prepared a detailed portfolio of all the topiary stations around the hotel. There are the ones out front of the lobby where she is currently, then there are those stationed inside Labyrinth Park around the fountain, and those decorating the Aku Cemetery, of course, then those working on the clouds one through nine atop the hotel, and then those lining the star steps, and here she cut me off and said she would need to think about it. She left rather upset. I, I didn't know what to do. I remained seated at my desk for a good moment or two after she departed, confused and not a little worried. Was it something I said? Lionel, that's a silly question. It must have been something I said. The, the real question, then, is... What was it? What was it? Uh, anyway, uh, a Red Cat update. Fiona finished her search of Red Cat's rooms and discovered two briefcases of varying sizes... One was rather large, square in shape, and with numerous combination locks on it, some of which used Sanskrit letters instead of numbers. The other case was small, almost comically so, but whose security was much more lax. Fiona was able to open the smaller case without much trouble, only to discover the horrifying contents within. Propantuel methylphosphonofloridate, also known as sarin, a colorless, odorless, tasteless liquid organophosphorus compound, and one of the most powerful chemical weapons 
in the world. Sarin attacks the nervous system, disrupting normal chemical signals which can lead to respiratory paralysis within minutes of exposure, which could, well, kill someone. Thankfully, there are known antidotes to Sarin, but the amount Fiona found in Red Cat's suite calls into question whether it is worth waiting for his mystery clients. The presence of such a weapon on the hotel's grounds is disturbing, to say the least. But perhaps more so are the implications. As I noted, the case containing the Sarin had relatively few security measures, which begs the question. If Red Cat felt so blasé about keeping such a deadly substance under lock and key, then, given how secure the other case is, what could he possibly have in there? Fiona has remained inside the suite. She has posted up inside the bathroom and intends to follow Red Cat when he leaves to make the deals with the mystery buyers. I've, I've, I will keep you posted. Maintenance update. Those ghosts are just the devil! Of course, not actually. You and I both know the devil personally, and he would never, never be this unprofessional. Evil, perhaps, but never unprofessional. At any rate, the ghost of Felinion, yes, her, won't stop calling my office. Even with all the gargoyles, grotesques, and even Sheelina gigs we have about the hotel to ward off spirits, she still has found ways to leave message after message on my answering machine. She is so persistent that the telephone lines have become haunted, and I have had to ask our maintenance gin to replace all of the cables. So now, because of her, we don't have phone service for the next week or so. <sighs> I wouldn't have it out for ghosts so much if they didn't cause so many problems like this. Lots of foreboding news this week, I am afraid. You will remember the strange and ominous tunnel we discovered behind the wallpaper in room 325M on floor 200,017. Echadl, the Aztec god of the wind, was helping with investigating the tunnel. He and several bellboys, clean witches, and groundskeepers ventured into the tunnel last Monday on a sort of expedition. It is worth noting, many of those on this team were also a part of the expeditionary force that went out into the Crimson Forest in search of Latrice those many, many months ago. Perhaps there is... perhaps there is something to be said about that. Hmm. Thoughts for another time. This tunnel team, anyway, armed themselves with lanterns, glow sticks, and torches, and pushed deep into that gloomy passage, a huddle at their head. They did not discover much. The tunnel grew smaller as it went until it became such cramped quarters they were forced to turn back. Ahadl, as a deity of the wind, got understandably claustrophobic. He is nearly nine feet tall, and the dimensions of the passageway were substantially less than that. Still, he put a brave face on it and insisted on helping with further expeditions. Last Friday, they tried again, this time pushing further into the narrow reaches at the far end of the tunnel. Crawling on hands and knees, they wriggled deeper in. The walls began to give way to dirt and soil, and to tilt slightly upward, the air suffused with the moist smell of grubs. 
roots, and damp earth. Here, they stopped. Not by choice, but Echehadl's impressive, godlike physique became something of a liability. So brawny, so muscular, so heroic in proportions is he that when he got to this point in the tunnel, he could not physically fit through it anymore. The expedition team had to pull him back out by the ankles when he got stuck. He had a good sense of humor about it when I asked him what they discovered, but his smile quickly drained away to one of concern. He said he would have turned into the wind itself had he not had a terrible sense of foreboding. If he had become the wind, he was not sure what would have happened, or if he would have had complete control of his actions. Something about that tunnel, that dark and dank passage, feels off, otherworldly, even for a god like himself. That isn't the most concerning thing, however. As of last night, the tunnel and whatever lays at the end of it have disappeared. That wouldn't be a problem if it weren't for a rather frightening discovery that came along with it. The tunnel was only discovered after Echadl tore the wallpaper off of the walls in room 325M. The ground is, therefore, littered with paper shavings. It was a groundskeeper on the expedition team who first noticed it this morning after the tunnel vanished. There are faint disturbances in the paper scraps on the floor leading up to where the tunnel once was. Footprints. Someone went into the passageway, and judging by the evidence, they never came back out again. Echehadl is working with the expedition team on a full investigative report. I will send it to you once they have more. I know. No, no, no. Coordinate with... Yes, with the captain. No, we... We need to keep searching. It's a large case. He can't have gotten far. Yes. The white stags will meet you there. Hurry! Oh, this is a disaster. Oh, where to begin? Where to begin? Um, at 4.30 this afternoon, Fiona followed Red Cat out of his hotel room and down to the Recherche Café. There, he ordered a cup of coffee. Nothing unusual there, except when he lifted it to take a drink, Fiona spied a small slip of paper stuck to the bottom of the cup. She caught only a glimpse as he quickly tucked it into his pocket on the sly. What Fiona did see was the gothic calligraphy the note was written in. So, one of his buyers has a medieval background. She followed him back to his room, and that is when disaster struck. Fiona resumed her post above the door in the bathroom. As a fly, Red Cat was unlikely to notice her, or at least so Worm thought. She waited there in the dark of the room for any sound of Red Cat's activities. Should he leave the suite or another person enter it, she would be the first to know. It was thus poised for action when Red Cat struck. Without warning, the bathroom door flew open. In a split second, a plastic mesh wall came speeding toward Fiona. A fly swatter. Fiona's training probably saved her life in that moment. She quickly tucked her body between the strands of the swatter, passing right through the mesh. But Red Cat was not so easily outdone. He rounded for another strike, but missed. Fiona, realizing her cover was blown, made for the window, but before she could escape the bathroom doorway, Red Cat came at her again. 
With a well-aimed strike, he clipped one of her wings, sending her careening towards the floor. Knowing that if the impact didn't kill her, Red Cat would quickly finish the job, she angled her speedy descent towards a small open tub of Vaseline on the bathroom counter. Pulling her legs tight, she dove into the petroleum jelly, burying herself in the mixture. Thus hidden from sight, Red Cat couldn't find her, but he didn't need to. Fiona heard the door to the suite open, then shut. Red Cat was on the move, most likely to meet with his potential buyers. Fiona needed to follow him, but the Vaseline held her fast. She wriggled and writhed, but could not extricate herself. The clock began to tick. With every second, Red Cat and his mystery buyers grew more and more likely to escape. The thing Fiona, despite all her dexterity, all her skills, could not seem to do. Hours passed. When Fiona missed her rendezvous with her handler, Worm knew something was up. A recovery operation was quickly mounted. Buyers or no buyers, Red Cat couldn't be allowed to escape. He was out in the Aku Cemetery when a cluster of spider worm agents waiting in the pine trees overhead collapsed on him, spinning him up in such a dense network of webs he could not possibly break free. After he had stopped screaming, their captain, an old cobalt blue tarantula, questioned him thoroughly. From this they were able to discover Fiona's location, and Operation Fly in the Ointment was a success. Fiona is okay, and the Saren has been successfully recovered. We even learned from Red Cat the identity of its buyer, who was none other than the salesman. His connection to all this is very unsettling. But there is more. While the Saren is in Worm's possession and will be safely destroyed, the other briefcase is missing. On this point, Red Cat's information was more limited. He didn't know who the buyer was. He received a partial payment in exchange for a dead drop and would receive the rest of the money afterwards. Worm is watching his bank accounts, but there is no activity. Their For Insects team is studying the gothic calligraphy of the covert note from the Recherche Café in hopes it might give them more answers. One thing we do know, now that Red Cat is in Worm custody, is the contents of the other case. It was a stone tablet containing an incantation to summon a Hindu Astra, a supernatural weapon of such power as to be unstoppable. And now, it is in the wind. I am working closely with worm agents to track down the Astra. Red Cat doesn't know to which Hindu deity it belongs, but any of the Astra wield enough power to obliterate anything on the receiving end. Here's hoping they find it. And soon. Report submitted by yours, warily. Lionel Atuary, head concierge and manager for Hotel Daydream. Hotel Daydream was voiced and written by Stephen Kautzler. Our theme music is by John Divin. Additional music in this episode was by TRG Banks, Jeff Harvey, Coma Studio, Cube Sounds, Julius H, Black Pie Beats, Crypt of Insomnia, Music Unlimited, Alicia Davina, Ashot Danielen, 
and Chopin's Etude Opus 10, Number 4, in C-sharp minor, Torrent, performed by Edward Neiman, and Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata Opus 27, Number 2, Third Movement, Presto, performed by Paul Pittman. You can find the links to these artists in the show notes. Transcripts for each episode can be found on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hotel daydream, or follow the link in the show notes. If you have enjoyed your stay at the hotel, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Share it with friends, family, or whisper it into a crevice where it will echo for years to come. Want more Hotel Daydream? Each episode has its own commentary on our Patreon. The first ten are free to listen for anybody. That's almost ten hours of ad-free audio for you to enjoy, none of which, however, would be possible without our patrons. Today, the hotel would like to thank... Mandy the Flapjack Platypus, Sarah Elkins, Danny the Spoonboard, Gus Sanchez, Maggie B, Asher Klein, and Danny Denise. Thank you for supporting the hotel. <laughs>